Thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you are our Lord. Give us ears to hear your word and follow through. To trust in your provision. To rely on your protection. To obey your commands. Place in our hearts a love for our brothers and sisters in this fold and in the others that are not of this fold. Amen. So on the uh, PCUSA calendar this morning is identified as Christ the King Sunday. And the baptism of Luke Tarico. Because interestingly enough, we were at Christ the King Presbyterian. Decking the halls, we miss decking the halls, which, by the way, are so lovely. After Logan's baptism, we, uh, with 13 other family members, four days before Thanksgiving, had a meal to celebrate. And then this last Wednesday, 15 of us gathered with Ann's siblings and their families in Austin one day before Thanksgiving. And we took a couple of pages from uh, Virgil Fry's presentation, the, the grief seminar that we had several weeks ago, and had a gratitude celebration for those loved ones who have passed on. We shared gratitude for them. We said their name and lit a candle and rang a bell. We told stories. One of Ann's sisters, who's a licensed professional Mental health counselor shared that studies have shown that one of the keys to happiness is expressing gratitude. Positive psychology reports that there is a direct link between happiness and expressing gratitude. Expressing gratitude brings about happiness for the one giving the thanks. And the more someone is thankful or feels gratitude, the less there is room for negative thoughts. This was confirmed this morning at 8.42 on KPRC-TV. As I was preparing to print this sermon, they said individuals who perform one time act of mindful gratitude increase their feelings of happiness by 10% and decrease their depressive symptoms by 35%. They suggested four steps to increase one's happiness. One is to count your blessings, name them one by one. They didn't sing, but two is to write thank you notes. Three is to keep a gratitude journal. And four, KPRC2 TV said, pray. It must, it must work. They said it on TV. Yesterday, I went to see Pat Bowers in the Heights, and I came across this marquee. What used to be Heights Christian Church is now Houston Sungerbund. I think that's German. Whatever they are, I agree with them. 
We are a favored people. We should be generous. We are a blessed people. We should be grateful. I hope you had a thankful Thanksgiving. Here are some more things for which to give thanks. For automatic dishwashers that make it possible to get out of the kitchen before the family comes in for their after-dinner snacks. For children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. They're such a joy, you hate to see them go home to their own parents. For gardening, it's a relief to deal with dirt outside the house for a change. And for teenagers, they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. And for smoke alarms that let you know when the turkey is done. But more than anything, I'm thankful for salvation by grace through faith, lest instead of works, lest anyone should boast. And that inspire us to do good works out of gratitude as a way of giving thanks. Now, those of you who have successfully passed a driving test to get your license will have seen these words. Warning, objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. Jesus' parable this morning is a warning. And the purpose of warnings is for those who choose to heed the warning to adjust their attitude and their actions. If I see an 18-wheeler in my side mirror, I do not change lanes. This morning's gospel lesson is an unnerving passage, and it's meant to be. It rattled Jesus' opponents, surprised his disciples, and ought to deeply unsettle us. The parable takes ordinary actions of mercy that are possible as indications of our heart, but it's not meant to resolve the sense of unsettling we hear in Christ's sober warning. I believe Jesus told this parable in hopes that those who heard it and those who retold it would warn others to change the way they treated others. In Jesus' parable, the king calls out those who are his followers on the right hand and those who are not on his left. And the basis for determining who falls into each group is their attitudes and actions towards the poor, the powerless, the needy, and in serving these little ones, Christ says, as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. They responded to the needs instinctively, as in another of Jesus' parables, the story of the Good Samaritan. It was not that compassion was a natural function of their genes. It was because They had been transformed from within by the love of God. Their new nature was to do good works and to look out for each other. They didn't do these things to earn a place in heaven. They did them because they had answered God's call to follow Jesus and had been saved by grace through faith. They did deeds of kindness out of gratitude to give thanks. People who have answered God's call to follow Jesus have been adopted into God's family and naturally care for others and want to be with others like them. Even though they're surprised 
because they didn't know that they cared for others they and fed and provided shelter and visited others. They were sick and in prison. They were caring for Jesus. They did it because, hey, that's what Jesus' followers do. Those on the left, well, they didn't respond to those in need, even though they were surprised because they didn't know that when they didn't care for others or feed or provide shelter or visit others when they were sick or in prison, they weren't doing it to Jesus because that's who those who don't follow Jesus, that's what they do. Steve Harsh in Christian Discipleship writes, Matthew includes this judgment story as a warning. Jesus makes the choice so stark to impress us with the urgency of how we treat one another. His words certainly ring true for this troubled world in which we live, in which there are literally millions of hungry, thirsty, ill-clothed, unhealthy, and imprisoned people. The surprise in the story is that neither those on the right of the king nor those on the left realize that their treatment of the neglected, marginalized people was how they treated Christ himself. We can't use that excuse. We've been told. We've been warned. We know what it's like to long to belong. We have a duty to treat others, not just the way we want to be treated, but the way we would treat Christ himself. The uh, 1960s comedian Flip Wilson said, All I ever wanted to be was a Jehovah's bystander. Some think they can preserve their innocence by retreating from action in the world. But it's not enough to not do bad things. We are called to do good things. God's family is about helping people. It's about being more than a bystander. My wife Ann told me that in her classes she teaches at Baylor College of Medicine, students are taught to be upstanders. To speak up in the face of bias and prejudice and bigotry and bullying and to say something when you see and hear something. God's family is about bringing healing and harmony where there is hurt and discord. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy because there's many forces around us that make it difficult. Greed makes it difficult. Cultural and economic values make it difficult. Structural systems, accepted traditions make it difficult. Misguided theology and false teaching make it difficult. Idols of worship and misdirected allegiances, ignorance, misinformation, lust for power, status, and control make it difficult. In his book, How Do You Recognize a King?, Bill McDonald observed grinding poverty is slowly destroying our urban youth, and we just stand by and watch. We know that there is a spiritual side to life, but we just can't crack our tightly wound schedules. We won't even pull off the road to watch a sunset for fear that we'll be late to the next appointment. And in trying to do everything, we're doing nothing of lasting value to our souls. This week in our Wednesday update, we were alerted to ways that we can give to others through Jingle Bell Express, an agape development Christmas store, 
couple of Sundays ago, we packed 100 boxes for the Seafarer Center. Last year, I got these, this quote from Steve Norris. We donated 124000 to local and international missions that we support. And last year's Navidad market, we donated 66000 to the 25 mission partners. And next Sunday, December 3rd, we'll kick off this year's Navidad market. We can and we are doing things for the least of these. Paul Waddell writes in his book, Toward a Welcoming Congregation, anxiety's central message is that we can't afford to share because we can never have enough. Put more strongly, in a culture marked by anxiety and fear, the very things we have traditionally called sins and vices, like hoarding and greed and suspicion, have become wise and prudent virtues. Fear rather than love governs lives. But such fear is a kind of idolatry because it suggests that we're giving more attention to our own security than we are giving to God. The way out of despair of our age is through hospitality. Because a person well-practiced in Christian hospitality chooses love over fear, trust over suspicion, and risk over security. What God wants from us is essential kindness, love of neighbor, helping those in need. And the church's mission is to reorder relationships and resources so that the forgotten ones are included in the blessing of creation. Jesus says, it's everything you've done for others in my name. It will be every little act of kindness we've ever done, the visit to the shut-in, the get-well card, the thank-you note, every bit of food taken to the home where a family member is ill or a family member has died, every food drive to which you've donated or staffed, Every bag of food handed out, it's these little everyday acts of care and compassion that sometimes go unrecognized. But every deed, every little deed we do, every kindness we show will count. It will be every gift bag made by our sewing ministry that our youth fill and distribute. The fact is, someday everyone who's ever lived will be surprised. Some followed Jesus and didn't know it. We didn't know it was you. Others who didn't follow Jesus didn't know it. If we'd have known it was you, we might have done something. When my time comes, I want to be pleasantly surprised. The Apostle Paul said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And this week we've been giving thanks, 13 and 15 at a time in my case. My hope is that day I will stand before Christ the King and have the opportunity to receive thanks for what I've done to others and in so doing have done unto Jesus. And my hope is that you will receive the same. Now that, will be a day of thanksgiving. 
So let us all love and share and pass on the love we have received, looking for the day when Jesus gives thanks for all we've done for the least of these, his brothers and sisters, when for us, Jesus gives thanks. I want to close with a prayer that I shared at our family service of gratitude in Austin, taken from a prayer by Virgil Fry that he shared with us at our retreat. Let us pray. I give thanks for friends, old and new, who bring sparks of joy. For family, for those who give me grounding and constant love in all ways. For loved ones no longer here, yet still alive in my heart. For fellow travelers, encouragers in the struggles of life. For sustenance and nurture, shelter and clothing, my daily bread. For questions and yearnings, generating meaningful searches. For the ancient texts overflowing with words of renewal and purpose. For life, breath, body, spirit, emotions, and the intellect to be able to express grateful awareness of it all. For being human, full of foibles and successes, sorrows and joys. For unending love companionship in the darkest of hours and the loudest of celebrations. For these, I give thanks. I am an alumni of over 30 Curcio, Kairos, and Celebration weekends. And one of our traditions is to sing this next song before every meal. I think I've sung it at least 360 times. It's a song I requested to end this morning's sermon, not only because of the memories it stirs, but also the thing for which I give the most thanks. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus promises that when we're weak, he makes us strong. When we're poor, we are rich in him. This morning, I feel strong and I feel rich because of Jesus and because of being in a room filled with brothers and sisters who have pledged to follow him and his example. So I invite you to join us in singing, Give Thanks. The first time through, we'll sing it seated. And the second time through, I would invite those of you who would be able to just please stand as we sing it the second time.
you to stand with us and sing with gratitude on this second time around. Because he's given. 